Can we please never have a segment about the many ways in which you can use bread? I think we just did. The new show 13. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back. And we've got some questions for you as usual. You can send us those questions to show at the new dot show or on Twitter at ask new show. And do mention if you want to remain anonymous, otherwise we might read your name out. If you want to support creation of these episodes, you can do so on Patreon, patreon.com slash asknewshow. And thank you everyone who is supporting us. It's really appreciated. And remember, you can get an advert-free RSS feed if you support us for $5 or more. So go and check that out. So the first question then, what's the best party you've ever been to and what's the worst? I can't help that whatever we're going to say, you're going to come up with some story of being <laughs> at some celeb-laden party. Well, I did go to the premiere, the London premiere of Legally Blonde and the after party. Now, is that the best or the worst? That is neither. That is one of the mehest. Because yeah. I won tickets on a, uh, from a radio station and uh, I was chatting to a lady and she said, oh, what do you do? I said, oh, I won a competition to get here. <laughs> she just said, see you later and walked off. <laughs> Oh, you're a pleb. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He's thinking I was a director or something. Wow. I guess I'm torn between two completely different parties. One that uh, me and a friend of mine threw for no reason whatsoever, where it was like one of those things on the internet where it's like, make all these games out of like pencils and cups and stuff. And it was like the most fun that I've ever had in my life. Just playing these stupid games with ping pong balls and pencils that are like not real games. And then another was actually a company party. And it wasn't a canonical company party, sorry. Those parties were awesome, though. It was uh, for um, the uh, pizza place that I worked at. It was like a little bit more of a, of a chain or whatever. A little bit. He had a few different restaurants. So one of his restaurants, the flagship one, um, he closed it down. And they had a DJ and just like uh, brought in catering from some other restaurant and uh, it was pretty awesome. They had all the lights and everything, and it was pretty crazy how 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 big it was. But it was like just this big fun company party. So interestingly, my best and worst parties that I could think of both involve my oldest friend, who I've known for far too long at this point. Um, the best party was his wedding. He got married to uh, someone who is now my friend. And she works in entertainment. She's a professional entertainer, just does some West End uh, cabaret, stuff like that. And so she put together an amazing party where it was free booze, which always helps, and just loads of interspersed acts and stuff throughout the evening. They had a band and then they had um, some like burlesque stuff and just it was it was just perfectly timed throughout the evening as uh you know, as it went on, there'd be a bit of just DJ, a bit of band, a bit of this act, a bit of that. And it was just perfectly planned and perfectly executed. So that was cool. It cost them an awful lot of money, but I think it was just about worth it. Uh, and then the worst was uh, an ex-girlfriend of his. I don't know what the party was about, whether it was someone's birthday or New Year or whatever, but it was um, down in Brighton where she was at uni. And uh, it was just the dullest house party ever and we just sat in one bit me and my friends like in the kitchen and then the other people just sat elsewhere and there was no mingling and it was just really awkward and it was just terrible and I just wished I hadn't bothered going all the way to Brighton so I think the best party was 
my friend Ellie's 21st birthday party. So this is 25 years ago down in Swanage. And I drove my Morris Marina down there, the 90 or so miles with my mate Dave. And we stayed over at Ellie's house and his dad said, um, I've lined up a pub crawl for you for your 21st birthday. Just go in these pubs. And we just did a pub crawl round Swanage where he lived. And every single pub we went into, his dad had placed one of his mates at the bar. And as we walked in, he called us over to the bar and bought us all a round of drinks. And we went through every single pub, not buying any beer at all, but having a drink in every single one of them. And it was just really, really nice because I wasn't expecting that. I didn't have a lot of money at the time because I was 21 as well. And it just turned from making a bit of effort to drive all the way down there into relaxing in the evening with lots of beer and lots of friends who I'd known for a few years from school. And that just made it a really, really lovely time. And we went back to his flat and we all flaked out on the floor. And that was a great night out. And then the next day it turned into the worst day ever. (laughs) because his dad came in the next morning after we'd had a lovely fry up and he said right i've booked you all a boat you're all going sea fishing (laughs) and (laughs) i cannot stand being on boats and i just spent the entire day throwing up over the side of this boat with Ah. all of my friends laughing at me and pointing and and (laughs) taking pictures (laughs) and and like oh here comes breakfast and all of that Uh, it was grim so it was both the best and the worst and i actually came back with my mate dave giving me money for petrol because i drove him down there and back and I came back with more money than I went down there with. I spent nothing the whole time and had the greatest weekend. And I still, like 25 years later, I still think it was one of the best weekends I had. Yeah, also the worst. That has reminded me of a party that I went to. It was a work do where they hired the Namco Center, which, as the name suggests, is just a ton of arcades. Uh, and it was a free bar and just loads of free play arcade machines and pool tables and air hockey and all that kind of stuff. It was amazing, but they didn't have any cider. And at the time, this must have been 10 or 15 years ago, I only drank cider and that was it. And um, I I should have drunk red wine, which is what I would drink now when there's no cider. But instead, I thought, I'll drink vodka Red Bull. That's quite nice. But I didn't have a vodka Red Bull. I had about 15 vodka Red Bulls. And the party was amazing. Went home, couldn't sleep. Just lay there all night staring at the ceiling. Couldn't sleep. Went through the next day, the next night, tried to sleep, same thing. Literally did not sleep for two days. We get more cynical and grumpy as we get older. Why? And this is from Mess. Experience and lack of patience, I think. <laughs> like, once you've seen people do the same thing over and over, and then someone comes along and looks like they're about to do the same thing again, it's very easy to make a judgment call that, well, I've seen this before. I know how this is going to pan out. And, oh, look, it panned out exactly how I expected it to. Like, what a surprise. And, yeah, that makes you cynical through the experience and the prism of age having seen that shit over and over again. I'm not sure it's necessarily true. Some people get more chilled out with age don't they? Don't they kind of, doesn't it depend on whether you have succeeded and are happy in your life? Whatever that means, that doesn't necessarily mean financially, it could be family or whatever. But I've met some older people who 
are incredibly happy because they are just content with their lives. I mean, I have become more and more cynical and grumpy, definitely. But I challenge the premise that everybody does. Yeah, I'm sure not everyone turns into a cynical, grumpy old man, for sure. But I can see why a lot of people do. I feel that in some ways, as I approach middle age, I get less tolerant for some things that maybe wouldn't have occurred to me when I was younger. And I I think that part of it is just having a lot more on my plate and thinking more um, into the future and, and kind of being like, ah, you know, this thing happened and then now this thing's going to happen and that thing's going to happen and this ruins that. And then, you know, my plan for this far out is, is now bullshit, you know, and then you, you get irritated because everything has so many more consequences than I feel like as a kid when something wrong happened, it really didn't matter that much because you didn't really have anything that you were doing that was of great consequence. Yeah. And there's also the entropy factor. I can't remember who I heard this from, but it was a long time ago. It was that feeling when you're young that everything will just work itself out when you get older. All this confusion and these confused feelings and everything, that will just get better when you get older. But then you get older and realize that, no, it just gets more complicated and you've got more decisions to make and more conflicting emotions and stuff. And so it's just the the complexity of life, probably, that makes you just get pissed off with it because you just, as you say, Dan, you've got more on your plate, there's just more happening and you just, just say, fuck it, I just can't stand this anymore. And so you just get pissed off at small things that otherwise you wouldn't. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into cloud, hybrid, and multi-cloud environments. Quickly analyze the performance of your Linux servers in real time with customizable dashboards and troubleshoot Linux issues in seconds with a unified view of your metrics, traces, and logs all in one place. With integrations for over 400 technologies, you can even use Datadog to monitor key Linux source metrics alongside data from the rest of your stack to get full visibility into the health and performance of your entire infrastructure. Start your Datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com slash the new show. Start your free trial, create one dashboard, and you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash the new show. What do you think the best and worst jobs are in IT? And this is from Frederick. Define IT. Information technology. That was super helpful. (laughs) You know, computers and shit. I guess when I hear IT, I definitely think like help desk. Like if someone asked me like, oh, are you in IT? I would say no. You obviously are in IT. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's true. If if you're li- like taking it like literally like anything involved in information technology, but then like that's such a big thing. I don't know if that seems too over encompassing. But IT is all encompassing. There are just like so many roles that you could put IT. I work in IT. It just seems meaningless because it's so wide. Right. I don't know. I, my, I get, I think this might be a cultural difference between the UK and the US. We've always called it IT and it's a 
blanket coverage phrase for everything to do with technology. Like if you're a software developer, you work in IT. If you're a help desk operative, you work in IT. And yeah, it covers everywhere in between DevOps. Yep. IT. And so I think if I was thinking of careers in IT and what I think it really depends on your character because some roles in IT, let's say, like you suggested, like help desk kind of thing, frontline customer facing roles, you've got to have the right personality for that kind of thing and the right frame of mind and the right training to deal with people because people are bastards and idiots and they get angry with you because they got their password wrong or they get angry because their PC doesn't work anymore. And it's your fault because you're the person who's on the help desk. And I know this because I spent years working on help desks and if, if you can cope with people shouting at you and being outrageous and blaming you for a, everything going wrong on their computer and you can still solve their problem and get them off your back and maybe even if you're lucky get an apology out of them, then fine. But if you can't cope with that, then yeah, it's a shit job for you. Um, maybe someone who doesn't like interacting with people would be a software developer would be great because you can, for many people, be back office and not have to interact with the public very much. So I, th- I think this question is difficult because it really depends on the character of the person asking. I'd have to totally agree with that because I think for me personally, some of my least favorite jobs are ones where you're interacting with people outside the organization. And I tend to steer more towards my favorite parts are ones where I have more in like creative free time you know, when everything else kind of following somewhere in between, but that's totally just because that's my personality type, right? Right. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree as well. I think that it really depends. Some people love high pressure situations where they're responsible for critical infrastructure, whereas other people would prefer much less pressure where you've got time to rebuild stuff if necessary. And it really doesn't, matter as long as you've got reasonable backups if things are down for a few hours then whatever doesn't really matter and i can think of some people who are great at that customer facing side of things and some people who are terrible at it and with any job it depends on your personality and your character like if you love to do the job that you're doing then it's the best job in the world and if you hate it then it's the worst and two different people could have the same job and be night and day on it so It's a question that is very difficult to answer. I think the only way to answer it is what are our personal best and worst jobs? What what would we think of? And for me, I think it would be that real high pressure stress and responsibility role. I just don't think I could cope with that. I did quite enjoy being on a help desk Uh, back in the mid 90s. I worked in central London. I commute up there every day and I remember the help desk getting phone calls from users saying, uh, you know, can you send out that really happy guy? <laughs> and they'd all look around and go, who the hell? And they had to look through the call report history and go, Oh, the last person you saw was Alan. So we'll send him. And, you know, I'd go and see the person and visit their computer and fix it or whatever it was. But then equally you'd get a phone call. Don't send that grumpy guy. And then look <laughs> back through the history and find it was me. And, and so. You know, you can have good days and bad days, and those customer-facing roles certainly expose that. But 
I think it also depends on what stage you are in your career. It's all very well me saying, you know, I enjoyed doing help desk stuff, but I, I don't think I could pay the mortgage on a help desk salary right now. But maybe if I retired, having a ton of experience in stuff, maybe I might go back to it just to earn a bit of, you know, side money do some support for someone because it's actually quite an enjoyable thing if you're not pressured into doing it if it's just a you know a fun job to do on the side like answering support tickets for ubuntu was a thing how i how i got involved in the ubuntu project and i wasn't being paid to do that i was just doing it in my spare time but it was fun solving people's problems and if that's your personality trait then so be it but if you're the kind of person who's a super loner and doesn't like interacting with other people, then maybe shift work is your bag. And maybe, you know, monitoring systems overnight in a network operations center where there's you and a couple of other people and, you know, you don't necessarily interact very much or you sit and wear headphones and listen to audiobooks and podcasts all day or all night, then maybe that's your thing. There's so many different roles in IT that there's something for everyone, I think. People, people or, you know, loners or, or whatever, really. If you could be hypnotized to stop yourself doing something from today onwards, what would it be? Stop getting hypnotized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can swap something in for hypnotized, you know, just what, whatever it is. If you could stop yourself doing it through whatever means, whether that's therapy or whatever. But hypnotized is kind of short for that. I don't know if I would spend as much effort on trying to eliminate existing habits as I would add new habits. I think that if I could like hypnotize myself into something that it would be like, you know, guaranteeing that I get a workout in every day or I drink enough water or, you know, those kind of things. Um, I don't know if there's many things right now that I feel like are such a problem that I need hypnosis to wipe them away. I think I have one. I think I'd like to be, I'd like to make it impossible to be distracted I'd like to be able to just totally focus on one thing and not let anything distract me unless, you know, the house was on fire or something. I would like to, yeah, be able to just 100% focus because I'm so, I, that's a personal flaw. I get easily distracted. Like a, I'll be in the middle of something. I get a ping on some messaging system or I see an email and I, I want to deal with it straight away and I need to fix that. And I, I probably would. Yeah. That, that would be an, that would be a nice quick win. Because I'd be more productive as a result. So the obvious one for me or two for me would be eat and drink less or whatever and be less fat. But that's a bit boring. I think have better sleep hygiene would be the one for me and be able to just go to bed and go to sleep whenever I wanted and um, do that in a more regular fashion rather than being all over the place. Sometimes I go to sleep at half past three sometimes i go to sleep at 9 a.m and neither of them are good but half three is better and i think you could probably do that through hypnosis maybe did i tell you about the time i used to uh, hypnotize one of my friends years ago i don't think so i had a, a cassette that would uh hypnotize you and it, it, we played it to one of my friends and he went under and we had tremendous fun doing this this was many years ago like 30 years ago and one of the things he said, he said to me once, um, I, I keep forgetting to practice the trombone because he was in the band at school. He said, could you make it so that I could, uh, practice more? 
And I, I was always very careful when we like hypnotized him. I would say to him, you know, you're going to wake up very calm and relaxed and all that kind of stuff. And I said to him when he was under on Friday, you're going to get an overwhelming urge at a particular time. You're going to get an overwhelming urge to practice the trombone and whatever you're doing. If it's safe, you're going to attempt to go home and practice the trombone. And I put all these caveats in there because I, I thought, what if he's like going to the shops with his mum? I don't want him to get out the car and just like roll off, you know, and, and go home. And sure enough, we were out playing football. We completely forgotten about this. We were playing football in the street on the Friday and he just walks away and none of us, was, <laughs> we were all like, what the hell? Why? In the middle of a game. And then went into his house and just started playing trombone. So it can work. It certainly can work if you're the kind of person who's susceptible to that kind of suggestion. And I don't, the problem is I don't know if I'm susceptible to that kind of suggestion or not. That's my problem. So I know you said hypnotism or something like that, but that's my problem. I don't know if I could. Yeah, I'm not convinced that I could be hypnotized. I've never tried. I'm, I'm not sure I believe in the whole thing, really, and how much of it's placebo effect. And with stage hypnosis, how much of that is just people being socially awkward and playing along and stuff. It's something that I would like to experience, but then I'm a little bit scared of people poking around in my subconscious as well, because who knows what could happen if they do it wrong. Having done it, I can tell you for sure, no shit, it works, because I did it many, many times to this this mate of mine years ago. But I appreciate you know, you might not believe that. And I know other people might not believe it, but it, it was hilarious when we <laughs> used to do it. And over a beer, we'll have a chat about it one day. I believe that it can work. I can believe it can be effective, but the agent of that efficacy is what I question. And, um, I think that if you believe it's going to work, if you get hypnotized and you believe that it's going to work, then the mind is a very strange thing. You can kind of almost trick yourself into it, right? Um, possibly, and and so arguably it does then work. But it's it seems that even after, I mean, how long ago did Mesmer come up with it? It must be at least a hundred years, and we still don't fully understand the mechanism of it. And so this makes me think we should therefore be able to do this without hypnosis. Like any one of us, the things that we all want to do, whether it's eat less or be less distracted or, you know, play the guitar better or whatever it might be, we should be able to do that. We should be able to fix this problem ourselves. You shouldn't need to be using mind tricks and suggestion. You should just be able to do it. And I'm, I'm sure there are people shouting at the podcast players right now telling us, just read this book. This self-help guide will tell you how to do it <laughs> or something. Maybe. Yeah. I guess if you think about any self-improvement that like all of it kind of involves some kind of like mind tricks or, or whatever, you know, it's the reframing the problem or changing the way you're thinking about something or like heavily considering what's actually important to you or like all of it requires you changing the way you think in some way, right? So instead of hypnosis, you just look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're great. That's kind of a form of, of hypnosis in some ways, right? It's suggestibility that you, if you are uh, spending time working on your self-image, then you can make yourself carry yourself a different way or maybe be more assertive or uh, you can kind of influence the way that your day will go based on what you believe about yourself, right? I suppose so, but I think that you have to believe it. And as we talked about when this came up before with the affirmations and everything, if you don't get into it, then it's not going to work. And I just, 
I can't see myself getting into it. That's why like telling yourself that you're great is a terrible way to use affirmations and it doesn't work for most people. Like that's, that's a complete waste of time. Most of the time, like good affirmations are just like reminding yourself what you're capable of or, um, letting yourself off the hook for things that are hard. So I need to look in the mirror and say, Joe, you're really good at editing podcasts, but I know that already. So what's the point? Yeah, it's, it's not really useful for that sort of thing. I would say that affirmations are more useful for things that you're struggling with, but, um, I don't know. Have you ever, uh, had an experience with, um, someone who's a really good friend that has like kind of put you in check and, and reminded you of something that's fairly obvious, but that you're having a hard time accepting? Like, I think that affirmations are useful for those kinds of things. But it is totally, um, I think, a, a similar thing to hypnosis. It's just suggesting things to yourself. This episode is sponsored by Learned. Sign up at automation.link and use the code The New Show to upgrade and get 50% off a year's subscription to a new DevOps training site called Learned. The site covers the entire DevOps stack, starting with the basics of infrastructure as code, and includes almost eight hours of lessons on Terraform, Ansible, Jenkins, and loads of industry tips along the way. If you're interested in learning DevOps, take advantage of this offer by visiting automation.link and upgrade with 50% off with the code The New Show. That's automation.link and the code The New Show. One big shop or lots of little shops, and we're talking about groceries here, supermarkets. Can we just clarify, are we talking about the existence of big shops and little shops, or are we talking about do you, as an activity, do a big shop or lots of little shops? The latter. Do you go several times a week, or do you go about once a week and buy a shitload of stuff? So at the beginning of the month, we do a big shop just after payday and fill the fridge and fill the cupboards and then supplement that throughout the month with little shops. So we do both, really. I feel like there is not a viable option to do little shops here, and you pretty much can't get everything you need unless you just go to the one big supermarket. I have tried to make a point to like, oh, you know, I'll try to do the local bakery uh, or go to the farmer's market or whatever. And it just ends up being like really expensive and you don't get everything you need. So I, I, I think in a theoretical world, that's like the idea is that, oh, these people can specialize. And so the products are so much better and whatever. Um, but it seems like the reality of it is that I can just go to the supermarket and a lot of local places sell their things at the supermarket anyway. And so I'll just buy it there. Yeah, we get ours delivered. So we'll do a big shop, get it all delivered and then fill up the shelves and fill up the fridge I'm surprised you only go once a month though. Like I go like once a week, you know, maybe a little bit more often sometimes if there's something that I need, but once a month, like doesn't your fruit go bad and stuff? Like, yeah. So in between we go to the local, there's a local shop just like 300 yards down the road and they have, you know, all the, all the stuff you need, fruit, veg, uh, meat, everything. So <laughs> that's all you need, fruit, veg, meat, 
everything. <laughs> uh, so I generally go there because it's on the way to and from my son's school. I'll often stop off there on the way, you know, just to get the pint of milk or whatever, but often go in there and, you know, get loads of stuff. I'm, I probably go there every other day or every, every three days. I go almost religiously every week and I can't be doing with this ordering online stuff. I know, shocker, <laughs> but I like to go and actually, you know, have a look at the fruit that I'm buying and stuff and, and have a look at what offers they have. And, um, okay, you can do that online to some extent, but I like to, to, you know, check out the merch before I buy it where, and you know, no, there's none of this like, oh, we substituted this for you or whatever. Like when you buy online, you can make your own decisions. And so I like to be in full control. Yeah, but it's not like they substitute, you know, you ordered a pineapple and you get a giraffe instead. It's not like ludicrous substitution. It's usually, you know, there was this flavor of soup and they didn't have any, so you get this flavor of soup. It's like, okay, I'll try that flavor of soup. That's okay. You don't know me very well, do you? Well, hmm. I'm very particular about the things that I like. There's certain, I don't really like soup because it's basically a hot drink and I don't have hot drinks, but... That was just an example. I know, I know. But take, for example, beans. I like Sainsbury's own beans, but if they were to substitute them with, say, Heinz beans, then I wouldn't be very happy because they're too salty. Yeah, but you could just send them back. They they give you a piece of paper before the shopping comes into your house. They give you a piece of paper and listed, broken out at the top is, here's the list of substitutions, if there are any. And depending upon the time of day and the day of the week and luck, you know, there may be some or there may be none. And you just look through them and just say, no, I don't want them. And they'll just take them away. Yeah, but then I'll have no beans. But eat something else. I, I got to agree with Joe. I'm a total weirdo about my produce. Like I've definitely done delivery before, but then you get a potato that's like, bigger than your head and it's like what am i gonna do with this giant ass potato like i give me the normal ass size potatoes I, I don't know why they give you like the weirdest stuff it's like the stuff that nobody else wants to get because it's weird shaped and sized so now I, I gotta pick my own produce i don't like that you guys need to chill the fuck out with your produce no you need to be more particular why it doesn't matter like if if there's an unreasonably large potato then maybe we'll have mashed potato that day and there'll be some left over for breakfast tomorrow or you know be a bit like spontaneous do something different with the food oh no oh no <laughs> i do quite like going to the shops i quite like going to a big supermarket but it's just the balls ache of putting it all on the belt and then putting it all in a bag and all that shit i can't be doing with all of that and queuing up if it's a busy day, if I happen to go on a Saturday. Whereas just popping down the little co-op down the road where I know all the staff and they're all super friendly. And if I want some human interaction, I can go to the till. And if I want to, um, I'm in a hurry, I can use the automated machines. And it's just a nice environment. And I know all the products that the shop has. I've probably bought one of everything at some point. I don't know. I, I'm pretty flexible about if food comes and I get the wrong thing. It's like, oh, I got surprise food this week. I don't know if you've seen that Amazon is licensing their, like, just walk out or whatever. Mm. Whatever store implements that, I will start going there for everything. To just walk in and grab it and walk out, like, that's the dream. I don't have to check in with anybody. Yeah. I went to the uh, Amazon Go store in Seattle, and it... It's an interesting concept, but it's not quite the way it's painted to be because the technology doesn't allow you to just walk in, grab stuff and walk out. You have to queue up outside. 
There's a line of people queuing up outside. All they've done is move the queue <laughs> from you queuing to get out to queuing to get in. So it's it's somewhat bullshit marketing. Um, once you're in, once they allow you to enter the store, uh, you you get a special bag and then you put your shit in the bag and then you walk out and that's all very magic and great. But if I'm in a hurry, I just want to walk in, grab the thing, walk out, right? I don't want to have to queue up like I'm trying to get into some exclusive nightclub. I just want to buy some beans. Let me in to buy some beans. Yeah, I feel like any kind of queue at all completely defeats the purpose. And now I'm sad and you've ruined my fantasy. Good. (laughs) 